Napoleon and all his attendants were very anxious to see as many newspapers as possible, but particularly the courier, which they considered the ministerial paper and most likely to contain the intentions of the government respecting them. They received little encouragement from any of them, at least of all from those which are supposed to take the ministerial side in politics, as they not only contained a great deal that was personally offensive, but stated in very plain terms that none of the party would be allowed to land in England, and that St. Helena was the probable place of their ultimate destination. Bonaparte himself always affected to consider this a mere newspaper report, though I believe it gave him a good deal of uneasiness. His father was received it with much irritation and patience, frequently endeavoring to convince me that our government could have no right to dispose of them in that way, and talking to me as if I had been one of His Majesty's ministers and had influence in determining on their future destination. All I could say on the subject did not prevent them from frequently recurring to it and appealing against the injustice of such a measure this morning. General Gorgot returned from the slain in which we found lying here, not having been permitted to land and having refused to deliver the letter he had been charged with for the Prince Regent to any person except his royal highness himself. When I was conversing with Madame Fertrand, she said, had the emperor gained the Battle of Waterloo, he would have been firmly seated on the throne of France. I answered, it certainly might have protracted his downfall, but in all probability he would have been overthrown at last as the Russians were fast advancing, and he never could have resisted the combined forces of the Allies. To which she replied, if your army had been defeated, the Russians never would have acted against him. That I cannot believe, I said, as they were using every effort to join and support the Allies, and the assertion is ridiculous, uh, said she. You may laugh at it, as so many other people, nor will it perhaps now be discovered, but remember what I say, and be assured that at some future period it will be proved that it was never Alexander's intention to cross the frontiers of France in opposition to him. In the course of the day, I received many applications for admittance into the ship, among others a note from a lady residing in the neighborhood accompanied by a basket of fruit, requesting a boat might be sent for her next morning. I returned a civil answer, informing her that my instructions would not admit of her request being complied with. No more fruit was sent from that quarter. Lord Guider and Lord Charles Bentinck also applied for admittance, but with no better success. No sooner was Bonaparte's arrival known in the neighborhood than the ship was surrounded by a crowd of boats, people being drawn from all quarters to see this extraordinary man. He came often upon deck and showed himself at the gangways and stern windows, apparently for the purpose of gratifying the curiosity of which, as he observed to me, the English appeared to have a very large portion. In the evening, the officer who had been sent to Plymouth on the ship's survival with dispatches for Lord Keith's return, bringing letters from which I give the following extracts. The officer of the ship you command has just delivered to me your letter of this date reporting your arrival in Torbay, with the Belf and Myrmidon having on board Napoleon Bonaparte in his suite. I have also received your other letter, explaining the circumstances under which you were placed when you were induced to receive Napoleon on board, and I shall transmit the same to the Lord's Commissioners of the Admiralty, in confident expectation that His Majesty's government will fully approve of your conduct. 